We have met a few times here and uh, I know a little bit about you, but not that much, Dina. Well, you might find out something. I hope so. <laughs> so I said that you you are tall because I, I needed to raise your mic. You said that it's you are not that tall, but it's the posture. True. Yeah. And you People work with- do often think when I used to be on dating sites, which right now I'm not because I'm taken, but uh, oftentimes just based on my pictures, guys would be like, how tall are you? Like they thought maybe I was a tall person and I was like, oh, I'm only five, three, you know, and they're like, oh, okay, good. Uh, <laughs> but I, I do study the Alexander technique and I teach the Alexander technique and that has helped me um, be my full self. It's interesting because I have had other guests here too, but the way you sit, I needed to raise the mic really high. Yeah, that is interesting. But I'm usually standing when I do any kind of like VO work. So I'm used to being standing and not sitting, but this is nice. Yeah. I have some ideas and I think I may have taken classes sort of unknowingly about ah, Alexander the Technique. I went to conscious classes. <laughs> yes. Because I went to theater school in Miami. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was lots of teachers, lots of styles. But we didn't have a class called Alexander Technique. But I think they were using tools. Pro- probably, yeah. In a theater school, for sure, yeah. But could you tell me what is Alexander Technique? Sure. Um, the Alexander Technique is a system or a framework to think about mind-body alignment. So a lot of people think of it as like working on posture, but your posture improving is really a result of the work rather than the work itself. So the work itself is really bringing you into the present moment and how you're responding to your environment. So for example, um, we would say that able-bodied people are born with like a very natural posture and a very natural coordination. So it's not something that you need to learn how to do. It's actually just learning how you've gotten away from it and how you've been pulled away from your natural posture. So for example, with a mic in front of me, I might start to do that, right? I might start to lean my head forward or stick my neck out there for someone or something. I might have picked up from my mom like to kind of collapse here or from my dad to tense my shoulders, or I might have had a traumatic incident where I'm a little bit off kilter. There's a lot of reasons why we get pulled off of our center. The Alexander Technique is really about learning our own habits and how we can get back into our center and our natural alignment. Did, what kind of journey did you do? Because I, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. on your website, you said that you had some chronic pain. Yes. So I would say that I was pretty much completely unaware of like how I carried myself. Um, I was an athlete in, in high school. I was a soccer player and I had a lot of injuries. Um, and then I had so many injuries, I had to quit soccer because I kept twisting my ankles and knees. And so I went into theater and music. Um, Where was this? Uh, in Virginia. Virginia. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up in Austin, Texas, um, pursuing music. And I was in bands and I was a performance artist and I was throwing music shows. And if you see video of me there, I mean, I'm literally like this. And I played guitar and I was like that. And 
I just, I had no awareness. No one ever taught me in physical education or ever really addresses like awareness around your posture and how you move and how you hold or carry yourself. So I really had no idea. So to me, it seemed like out of nowhere, I got chronic pain. But now that I look back and I've studied the work, I can absolutely see why I ended up in chronic pain. But long story short, um, I ended up in chronic pain. And I stopped being able to use my right arm altogether. So I couldn't hold a pen. I couldn't open a jar. This swelled up. It's still forever a little bit more swollen than the other side. Um, And I went through- Your right hand, arm. Yeah, my right, and I'm right-handed, yeah. Yeah. And so I was trying to graduate college at the time, and, um, oops. Well, I was just adjusting volume. Oh, okay. Are you happy with the well, listening? Well, that's fine. It's just, I, uh, it's different now. Do you want me to adjust it lower or higher? Uh, no, it's it's just, you can still hear me okay? I can't hear myself as well now. Oh, no, I can put you higher. Oh, okay. Is that my internal? Yeah. Ah, Yes. More, yeah, higher. Yeah. Is it that you needed me to speak up? No, because I was trying to adjust mine. Ah. So I adjusted yours. Okay, was it too loud in your headphones? Yes, so ah. I put mine a little bit. But you're speaking perfectly. Oh, okay, perfect. But I'll just... number one is yours. Let oh. me know if you want me to adjust. Okay. Thank it's you. just our hearing, nothing else. Oh, okay, cool. Awesome. By interrupt, yeah, so your right hand and right... Right hand yeah, is so I stopped being able to use my right arm altogether. Three years of kind of trying to figure it out, going to a lot of weird new age people who are like, oh, you have a parasite and like, you know, not figuring it out. Having a weird surgery that didn't help. They took my rib out and my scaling muscle. Um, and then You're missing a rib. I am now. Yeah. And I didn't make another human out of it. Unfortunately, like in what the Bible. Did, what did you do? What, where is it? Um, the first rib. No, I mean, where's the rib? Oh, I know. Great question. I wanted to keep it. Um, and I thought it would be really neat to have like as a necklace, but apparently that's a biohazard. So they wouldn't let me have my own rib. I was pretty pissed. That's odd. <laughs> I mean, I it's think medicine. Get, I think you get tooth. I have some teeth at home. <laughs> you should get your teeth. Yeah. Yes. Apparently it's not the same. <laughs> well, I guess so. But it's it's your property. I, I I would agree with you, but the American medical world is a bit. Um, now I, I'm not going to say I'm totally against it because it saved my life many times. But at the same time, you know, they're pretty draconian or like kind of I don't know, not the best bedside manner sometimes. Not very patient forward. Yeah. yeah well, since I'm an immigrant, I'm. I'm just happy to be here. Yes, in many ways. as you should be. God bless America. Yes, <laughs> thank you, America. <laughs> yes, yes. But but are but you it, on kind of what kind of visa? Are you well, on? actually, now I'm a citizen already. Oh, congratulations! I've been in. Thank you. I've been American citizen for a year and a half. Wow. But I've been coming here for twenty years. But wow. yes, I have a passport and the whole thing. Fantastic. I was very happy. I finally got it. Yes. 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 So, but what, what do you think about the American healthcare system? You know, you have to recognize the privilege we do have, you know, if you've been other places, we are in a lot of ways very privileged when it comes to all that. I've been in a lot of trouble. I had a blood clot. Thank God I had health insurance and I was able to get, you know, uh, 
the blood clot removed and all that stuff, you know, I'm grateful for that. Um, but you know, it, it definitely is not a system built to help us be more well. It's more benefiting off of our sickness. Um, it pushes a lot of, um, you know, opiates and drugs and surgeries. It's not interested in preventative medicine. Um, it's not interested in holistic medicine. We are ruled, you know, by a capitalist system. So intrinsically, everything is a bit that way. So in that way, it's it can be very frustrating. For example, um, when I got this surgery, you know, it didn't help to just do a surgery. And, and I studied Alexander Technique, and I ended up getting out of chronic pain, being in better shape and in better performance and functioning, right? But nowhere did the doctor say, like, I could show up like this and they wouldn't be like, oh, have you noticed that you do this thing? Like, they're not really looking at you when you come in. They're kind of looking at their stats and the, you know, what they can prescribe to you. And it's a bit ridiculous. For example, I got a boot the other day, you know, for my I, I had an injury with my ankle well, a few months ago. The boot when I looked at the insurance breakdown, cost $425. I guarantee you it doesn't, but it was like my insurance covered it, so it costs nothing to me, but they bill stuff in, it's a, there's a little bit of hack job happening, you know, in the system, but, you know, systems are like that oftentimes. So, I mean, I'm grateful for a lot of things. I've been in other places and in trouble and scared. And, you know, at least when I'm here, I feel like I will be, taken care of because I have health insurance. Yeah. Um, but if I didn't, that'd be a different story. And the fact that our country doesn't take care of our citizens in that way where everyone has health insurance is, is frustrating. And, uh, especially when we're supposed to be like number one, you know, I understand. What, what do you think is the problem? Like why it's, why it's not happening? Why there's no universal health care? Hmm. I didn't know we were going to get into politics. Um, it's it's very hard to change a paradigm. Like we, the America, North America, the USA is built in a certain way, you know, with certain people at the top when it was built who wrote everything and were and passed everything down. And we're this nation that's kind of a teenager nation, you know, built by Europeans that came overseas and decided they discovered this place when there were people already here <laughs> that already had their own systems in place and ways of living, um, you know, to change things and systems, it takes a long time. And, um, there's just a lot of power in place and certain people benefit from it. And it's very hard to, to, to shift that. Do you think, um, I'm starting to get feeling that I don't think we're ever going to get universal healthcare or that kind of more left-leaning ideas. I think America is what it is. I, I, I know that people would like that, but I don't see a change coming. The, the whole Obamacare thing was a big step. It was a huge deal for us to get even subsidized healthcare. Yep. Can you tell about it? Because when I started interacting with American healthcare, it was already in place. Right. So I'm, I'm not sure about the difference. 
Oh, just before there was no subsidies, subsidy, like it's, yeah. it's a government subsidy. So if you make below a certain amount, you, you're helped. Um, and the way, you know, the way that some people feel who are ri really super rich is that these people shouldn't be helped. But many times those people, they just come from that it's not even like necessarily that they worked really hard to get that either. And I'm not saying that people haven't worked hard to get that. Um, but you know, I think the idea of us paying taxes and contributing to a society, um, that the society were interconnected. So you can't just be like, well, I'm going to pay taxes, but I don't think the government should help with anything, you know? So there's this mentality, you know, if you're even Republican and Democrat, it's not much of a distinction at this point. And, you know, it's flipped at some point in our history. So some people left say, right, you know, either which way there's people. What do you who mean believe, flipped? Well, the Republican Party wasn't always what we know it to be in the Democratic Party. It used to kind of be the other way around in terms of a lot of it has to do with government involvement and um in, in society and, and the idea of helping and not helping and being independent. And, you know, I think if we didn't have a government, sure, like let's all just do our own thing, but we have one. So what are they doing? Yeah. You know, so you would be for universal healthcare. Yes. So back to the rib. <laughs> so they thought, why, why did they think that was a good idea? To create space is the concept. Yeah. And that's essentially what I ended up doing with the Alexander Technique. So a lot of what's happening is compression. Yeah. So when you're compressing down, um, when you're compressing forward, when you're bringing your head forward, um, your muscles are pushing into um, your veins, arteries, nerves. And that's how you get the pain inflammation. So the idea is if they removed it, it would create space, but it didn't change the habits I had that I was already compressing myself. Um, so once I learned that, then I created space within myself. So when we see someone and we feel like they stand tall and they have a sense of themselves in space and how they take up space and they're not, you know, crunching up or It really is the this space inside of them, and and the muscles, like all of your muscles, you know, when when you're using them, they shorten, and then when you relax, they lengthen, and it's important that they do both. Uh, so to keep the strength and the tensegrity, you need to use your muscles, but then you also need to let them release, and oftentimes certain muscles just get stuck in this holding pattern. Um, so in my case, I, I stuck my ne neck forward. I stuck my neck out there. And as a vocalist, I was a singer for a long time and all that stuff. It's like to get to the mic, I would lead with my head, you know, I would do that. So this muscle was basically constantly irritating, um, the nerves and the arteries because it was, uh, pushing into it. Yeah. And that's something that you can work on, on your own you know, with a lot of different types of methodologies, including Alexander Technique, but really being aware of uh, how you use yourself. How was the process when the rib thing didn't work and when you found out other ways to fix yourself? 
Well, uh, I was addicted to opiates at the time because they they gave me Vicodin. Um, and so I was taking Vicodin and then that wasn't working. And yeah, so how would, was that? I would like to hear about that too. It was moody, you know, I was very moody because what ends up happening like in your neurology is like you start thinking like food, sleep, Vicodin. Like it's like it's like you need it, you know. It's a very addictive thing, you know. Yeah, that's what I've yeah. heard and yeah. seen. And so I started realizing, oh gosh, I'm I'm in a cycle, you know. And uh, so I I I started seeking other things. I was trying well, to do. Sorry, before you started seeing. Yeah. Well, was it fun? Um, was it, no. Did it feel good? Not for me because I was actually in pain. I think if you're not in pain and you take Vicodin for fun, that's a different story. Yeah. Um, but I was taking it for pain. What was nice for me was to have the relief, yes. um, but it wasn't real relief because I was still doing the things that were causing the pain in the first place. Okay. So you didn't take Vicodin and watch Netflix and be happy. Right. Or whatever you do yeah, when exactly. you take Vicodin. Yeah, what some people do or party or whatever. Um, I, and then, yeah, so I started kind of trying to figure out other options. I went back to the doctor three months later at the time I was a graphic designer. Um, and I was like, Hey, I, uh, I, I can't, I'm not better. Like what's up, you know, but they also told me that the surgery was like, eh, might work, might not, you know, but it was all the only recourse I had it had been three years of this, you know? Yeah. Sorry. What was the muscle that they took out? They took my rib out and the scaling, the scaling attaches from here down to the first rib. This one. Or in your neck? Mm -hmm. In the neck. Wow. Yeah. So sorry, you went back to the doctor. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, we can put you on methadone. Okay. And then I was like, fuck you. And then I hated everybody um, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. You needed to, with, did you get withdrawals or anything like that? Yes. Yeah, of course. How are they? Tough. Yeah. Can you describe them? Mostly for me, it was like irritability. Yeah. Um, it was a lot of irritability, sleeplessness. Um, but I uh, then I started doing Alexander Technique. And basically, I just was dealing with like discomfort for like about a year when as I became more self-aware, it actually wasn't necessarily like a pleasurable process because as I started studying the Alexander Technique, I was like, oh, like there's all the stuff I'm doing. Like it wasn't necessarily fun. It was work. It was a lot of like dealing with my own really strong habits of like overdoing, trying really hard. Um, growing up with like an immigrant mother who's like, you have to break your back in order to make it in this world. Like that From kind where? of like, my mom is Palestinian. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, she would always break her back over dinner and just kind of really work hard in this concept of like, a lot of tension put into everything so that you feel like you're working hard. And so it was very philosophical journey for me to start doing things with less tension and more ease and realizing that I could accomplish just as much um, if I'm using myself well. We, we call it kind of the use of the self and the self being both the mind-body relationship. Um, so just kind of changing my own so as a musician, for example, I think of it as like an instrument, like you might help someone 
learn how to use the violin differently so that they're not breaking the strings or like, you know, it's like you are an instrument and so you can learn better how to use yourself. Did you find the mental connection to all the physical things that you, physical problems that you had? Like you were telling how you, that you need to work hard, that you were overdoing some postures. Um, what is the question? Um, well, you said that you were leaning your head forward because of the microphone. Ah. And there's something with the shoulders because of uh, your mom told you to work hard. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. So I I have, okay. The reason why I'm asking because, okay, I'll tell you why I'm asking because I feel that uh, sometimes I slouch, I don't fully stand. And uh, sometimes I <clears throat> put my shoulders up because using that to lower my status, 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 which one is it? Status. Status. Mm -hmm. It feels more comfortable. Mm -hmm. But if I really stand tall, I feel that I'm taking much higher status in the situation. And mm -hmm. it's um, it's definitely a different kind of feeling. I feel that often I lower my status and um, it makes the social situation more easy. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm feeling this kind of... Uh, those are some reasons why I have some uh, uh, posture things that I could fix. But it's a pretty big mental thing that if I start really standing upright everywhere and I go to a grocery store like that, it feels like that I'm like a different human and people respond to you in a different way. Yeah, it sounds like you're already very sensitive to the effect of how you carry yourself and how that affects people. Yeah, and I would say... There's a concept in Alexander Technique called faulty sensory perception. And so I would say like when I see you, you know, as a teacher who's trained, um, when you like go up into your your full stature, it doesn't feel to me intimidating or um, encrouching. So we would call that faulty sensory perception. You have an idea of yourself that might not necessarily be correct, um, if that makes any sense. Yes. So that's what's great about having a teacher is sometimes we are caught up in these ideas or um, concepts about ourselves. Uh, or for example, some people, I work with dancers a lot and they tend to over arch. So they like stick their chest out and they think this is sitting up straight, right? But this is actually really hard on your lower back. And so when I ask them to breathe into their lower abdomen and into the rib cage and release back, so the rib cage is over their hips and relax a bit, they feel like they're slouching. But when you look, they're not slouching. They're just not overextending either. So a lot of times when you're doing the work, it is a little bit of that realizing like, oh, what I think is happening isn't necessarily what's happening. So. Um, and then the other th concept you're talking about is is kind of how you how you appear in space or how you interact with the room. And I would say that it's very important to take care of our bodies. And part of taking care of our bodies is making sure you're breathing, you're not holding your breath, you're not collapsing into your diaphragm, you're getting the proper circulation into your brain, which also involves 
um, not collapsing because then you're not getting the proper circulation. So you have to take care of yourself. Um, now, if you think that taking care of yourself is upsetting other people, um, I would say that it's not that that's upsetting them. So if, if you have a demeanor where you don't, you're not like yelling or like confrontational or like bumping into them or manspreading, then I think you're fine. Um, and I appreciate that you're concerned about not, you know, coming across too strong or something. Um, but it's fine to be your full 360 self in a space and you can still be very sensitive to the people around you um, and humble. I understand. And that I, I didn't know about that full sensory perception and that's really good to know. I worked with this one like 85 year old woman and she, her head was like always this way. And she thought that was pretty much always till the, yeah. some people are only listening to this. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Till the, to the to yeah. right. And she, she thought like, this is like her normal way of seeing the world. Cause a lot of it also has to do with your vision. If you have vision, like it's like once I learned that I was always doing that, the big thing for me was realizing like, oh my gosh, if I'm here, I have to open my eyes wider. Cause I was kind of here and I was looking kind of so from you, the up down. Yes. And then I, once I realized when I don't pull my head back and down, I have to open my eyes more. Wow. Know? Like for her, she's here. And <laughs> I realized I went to her house one time, I did a house visit with her and she has like a landline phone and she always talks on it like this. And so okay. it had kind of gotten stuck. And whenever I would work with her neck and I put her here, she's like, oh no, I'm all off balance. And I'm like, look in the mirror, like you're, this is this is aligned actually. And she's like, wow, feels so weird. Cause we, you said the word comfortable, which is very interesting to me. Um, and one thing I think about growth and improvement, which is what most humans are trying to do in their life in many arenas, is you have to be okay with being a little uncomfortable sometimes because that's what's gonna teach you something. So once you realize like, oh, what you're comfortable with doesn't necessarily even mean what is natural. Some people have gotten comfortable in some ways that aren't even necessarily a natural posture. Um, so, and, and many of it, we learn from what we see. And right now in society, everyone is like this and they're on their laptops and like, so this is what's become normal. Like looking down and on your And just, phone. yeah, we're very like visually oriented people. So yeah. um, we're not in the trees as much anymore and like picking from the trees and up and around and, you know, carrying things on our heads and, you know, things like that. So um, people will say like, oh, that doesn't feel natural. And I'm like, no, 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 it just doesn't feel comfortable, but it's actually quite natural. And if you watch children, like if you watch a two-year-old able-bodied kid, you'll see like, they're just like their heads on top of their shoulders, their shoulders are on top of their stacked a certain way. When they move, you know, everything stays aligned. When they go for the blocks, you know, they squat, you know, it's, it all works. And we, we still have that in us. What I have found that works for me, I would like to hear your opinion, is that if I do that kind of exercise that um, builds up my muscles in a good and wholesome way, that helps me quite a lot because then my posture seems to align itself because I've been using those good muscles instead of just 
not exercising or doing one specific exercise and then trying to think that I need to be in good posture. Yes. So that that helps me. You articulated that perfectly. Because I think a lot of people don't even want to get into posture because maybe they've been drilled, sit up straight or like some military kind of thing. And what we would say is that's that's um, approaching the problem with the same problem that you already had. <laughs> so it really is about approaching it differently and realizing that it isn't that you need to tense up or sit up necessarily. It's that you need to, like you said, it does align itself. So there's a quote from FM Alexander that says, if you stop doing the wrong thing, the right thing does itself. And yeah. that concept of allowing is really important. Um, so to allow it to happen, um, there's, there is a sense of it aligning itself. And so when you talked about using different kinds of muscles, so when we get into a habitual thing and habits are great. I mean, otherwise we'd be constantly thinking about how to do everything, but we know we get in the car, we know how to drive, we know where we're going, whatever. Habits are good to a degree until you're kind of unconsciously moving throughout the world and you don't even notice that you're maybe slouching or getting yourself in a bad way. Um, and it is stimulus driven. So it is like about the computer in front of you or the person in front of you or the microphone in front of you or the phone or even this, you know, I can do this or I can do this. Take a drink of water in so various kind of ways. Starting to understand where your center is and, and bringing things there rather than distorting yourself around things. Um, but certain muscles, like I was talking about earlier, they'll just, they get so used to working so hard and then the other muscles, like your extensors, for example, um, will will disengage and they'll forget how to engage. And so a lot of times when I work with people in the first sessions or so, they'll feel a lot of relief, but then they'll have some soreness in the muscles that are like, what? Hello? What? And so, for example, when I did physical therapy, a lot of the things that they wanted were similar in that um, – they wanted me to stop sticking my head forward and overusing my scalenes, for example. So they're having me do exercises, okay? But I'm just doing the exercises in the same habits that I already had. And it wasn't until I started studying Alexander Technique that was like, a lot of it is the don't. Don't overuse that. Notice how you overdo that. Notice how you tense your jaw. Notice how you're holding your breath. Don't do that and the right thing will do itself. Because then it gives those other muscles a chance to have a chance, you know. So a lot of it is the allowing and the we call it inhibition and direction. So inhibition is stopping yourself from just reacting to the stimulus immediately um, and instead directing yourself a bit. And you can really only direct if you inhibit and they work hand in hand. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. How was your mental process when you, I don't know if you want to say the fixing yourself, but uh, how was your mental process in getting better when you started that process? And physical process too, but... Yeah. The reason why I'm talking about the mental process, because it seems to be difficult for me to let go of some things, because I'm used to being in world this way. Absolutely. But we We all are that way, you know. We've developed the rules and the regiments and the, you know ways that we cope for a reason, you know? Um, 
I think that the first year that I was studying, I didn't understand the Alexander technique actually. Yeah. But I was just practicing and I was learning and it took probably a couple of years before I got it on a different level. And so I would say, I would never say that anyone is fixing themselves, for example, like I didn't fix myself. Yeah. It sounds pretty rough. Well, you know, it's like, there's never a moment where you're perfect and there's never the end of the journey. So you're never fixed. Um, so we don't speak in those terms of like fixing like good, bad necessarily. It's just discovery and adjustment. Um, and so my process was a lot of self-discovery, adjusting, you know, kind of rearranging around the new way of thinking and feeling and moving. Um, the other thing is we don't distinguish between mind or body as like separate things because it's, it is the way that we think about the world right now. And I do think it's going to change just like we used to think that, you know, everything revolved around the sun or the moon or the earth, earth. <laughs> Here we are. Yes. Everything does revolve around the sun now. But yeah. We used to think it revolved around the earth. So just in the way that we used to think everything revolved around the earth and then we learned it didn't. Um, the concept of like, I think it was Descartes or something who came up with like this kind of person driving a car inside your brain. The reality is at no point right now is there a separation. Um, so your breath, your your circulation is affecting your mental properties, like how you're thinking. And your brain isn't even, you'll ask people where your mind is and like my point here, but your brain is in also- In your head. Yeah. yeah, but your brain is also in your heart. It's in your gut. So is your brain your mind? No, it's not. What is your mind? Where does it end? Where does it start? Um, and then you have the spirit, if you believe in that, or the soul. Um, so in the Alexander technique, it's very like integrated. So one thing you realize is it, is they are just constantly together. You can't really be like, oh, I'm only working on my body. Because even when I'm playing soccer or doing something super physical, my mind is like what's working everything. And then vice versa, even if I'm talking to you right now and this is a very cerebral conversation, like I'm moving my body, I'm breathing, my blood is working, you know, my body is very much involved. And like you notice, depending on how we adjust all of those things, it affects others. It's just always in relationship. So I would say my mental process during my recovery um, was the same as my physical process, which was like a lot of uncomfortableness <laughs> uh, in trying to change, which is hard. Um, a lot of curiosity, um, improvement, and then my functioning was getting better. And my functioning getting better was both physical and mental. Um, and my performance became better because my functioning was better. And that's like physical and mental performance. So when I would get like an audition, it was just a lot easier to do because I was already in practice with my body and in practice with my mind and in in it. So if someone's like, oh, you want to try out for this thing, I would just show up and I would be present. Yes. How much different of a person do you feel you became throughout that process? Oh, 
Uh, well, we don't talk too much about psychology and stuff, but I can speak to that. Um, because you're working with inhibition, which is to not just react habitually to a situation that also translated to my temper. So, um, you know, I grew up in a very passionate family and, you know, we would yell and whatnot. So I, I'm, I learned a little bit better how to temper myself and how to not just react if someone was like poking me or something upset me. I, I started developing this pause um, that I previously was, it was not a skill I had. So inhibition isn't just pausing. It's also kind of while you're even reacting to something that you're inhibiting something. So the less tense I was, the more I was also able to just like engage in conversations that normally maybe I would like fly off the handle. Um, and I could just like stay calm. So that was helpful. Um, and then also in terms of being open to change, I think I just became more open in general to change and curious about that um, and like evolving. Yeah. So I think that answers that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering, did you change your life and uh, dye your hair and move to LA? Like, did you make big changes? Well, uh, I've always been someone who transforms like yeah. ever since I was a baby. Like I'm just a person. I'm not someone that if you look at my timeline, like she's been the same all the time, you know? Um, I'm, I'm not super into astrology, but my astrology friends explain it because I'm like an Aries on the cusp of Pisces and Aries is like a fire sign and Pisces is a water sign and Aries is the baby and Pisces is the old man. So it's like this kind of birth rebirth thing. But, um, I've always been reinventing myself. I mean, even when I was young. So like even in high school, it's like I was I was in an Olympic development program for soccer. Wow. But then I just kept getting injured. And so I started doing theater and music. And then when I went to college, like I wanted to go into journalism um, and politics. And then like as I got in that, I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to operate in this system. I'm not going to change it in my lifetime. I want to be a creative person. So, you know, I started doing music and because you can express yourself and started doing more like community stuff and conflict resolution with children. I worked with kids with disabilities for like six years. Um, so yeah, I've, I've always been a adaptable person. Yeah. So yes, I did change a lot, but I wouldn't say that was unusual for my personality type. Um, when I moved to LA, that was, so my training in Alexander Technique, it's three and a half, four years um, to become a teacher. So it's uh, 1800 hours, something like that. It's a lot. Um, I was working as the director of membership at the Washington Project for the Arts, doing like arts events and working with artists and empowering artists. And um which now I'm like basically the membership director here at Rita House. Um, what is re we are now in Doctor Self Tape Doctor Self -tape. Studio? Yes, yeah. In Rita House, what's yes. Rita House? Uh, Rita House is a hybrid space um, that was built in 1926, originally a Hollywood prop house, 
And then like the movie props. Mm-hmm, yeah. If you see like in, when you go through the garage, there's still some Hollywood props um, across from the elevator. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then Rita Riggs bought it in 67 and she was the costume designer for Hitchcock and Norman Lear. And she had it as like a creative co-working space and then her design studio. And so when she passed away five years ago, they kept that going. And so it's, you know, we have filming here. We have different offices. We have a guy upstairs who does like post-production effects and horror movies. We have a lot of screenwriters. Um, we have a bridal, like couture bridal woman here. And then we have an architecture firm um, and like members. And then we have events. We haven't been doing that many events because of COVID, but now we're going to be having comedy shows and all that stuff coming in the fall. So it's it's a hybrid multi-use space. Nice. Yeah. I guess I'm a member of Dr. Self Tape. I'm yes. a member of Frida House. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's... Oh, is it separate you, membership? Well, you're you're a member of Dr. Self Tape, which gives you the services of this studio that operates in here. That's kind yeah. of a cool, like, almost like Wizard of Oz thing. Like nobody, like you can't tell like behind what's behind the curtain. Yeah. You know, when that door's closed, like who would know, you know? So that gives you access to all of this stuff inside of here. People that are members of Rita House, they work, you know, upstairs, they come, they have a little um, badge thing and they can come 8 a.m. to, to 10 oh, p.m. Yes. and work upstairs and around and and stuff like that. So. Oh, this And you're a membership director for Rita House. Yeah, and the events, you know, director and the you know, ambassador for all of the filming that we do here and all that. So we, we have people come and film here and, and shoot movies, interviews, commercials, all that stuff. Cause we have so many different spaces. So, and it can look very different. Like if you want it to look Brooklyn, like the brick room looks very New York. Um, the parlor area could be Europe. It could be Eastern Europe. So and then the loft area is its own vibe. So, you know, it's 9,000 square feet. So oh, wow. it's like a lot of different stuff going on. Yeah. yeah, I have only seen a couple of rooms. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll have to give you the full tour. Sounds good. Yeah. Something you said a moment moment ago is that you learn to be take a moment. Like if there was a big impulse, you learn to take a moment. Please correct me if I'm wrong. But I feel that that's also a little bit opposite what I understand freedom and being relaxed means mm. because I do quite a lot of improv theater and there you react well at least I do like try yeah. to react without thinking yes. yeah mm-hmm. so you say yes try to improv is yeah. definitely a very different paradigm and I love improv yeah I would say though that when you have studied something like Alexander Technique you're better at improv because you're not caught up in what you're supposed to do. So people get caught up in their habits, right? And so they become inflexible. Like they think it, they have to react a certain way. Um, So when you study something like Alexander technique, you're more adaptable because you're not going to automatically do whatever it is you always do. You're, you're changing all the time, depending on the environment, depending on what you need to do. Um, The pause it's, it can be a half a second, So in improv, it's like someone might say something and if you have like a funny thought, you could say it or you could wait and say the next funny thought. Yes. But it's more that in that moment, let's say 
you can have a choice about your character. So in terms of performance, if you're always operating out of habit, then you're going to get typecast all the time as the same thing. Whereas if you've studied something like the Alexander Technique or the Alexander Technique, you make more choices. You get to make a choice. You can do react like the angry mad guy or the uptight librarian or the loosey-goosey whatever. You can, you can decide in your body how you want to be rather than just be this one thing all the time or this one reaction. Um, so I think studying something that teaches you that you can react in many different ways is great for improv. And so times that I've had to do improv, it's easy for me because I'm able to think on my feet. Yeah. So it really helps you think on your feet. Thank you for clearing that up. Yeah. But I mean, I know what you're saying though. Like you, you can't in improv, if someone gives you a line, you can't sit there and go, and then say something. Yeah. But when we're talking about pausing, this can be like a half a second. And the yes. more you hone it, it's just like, you know, for example, um, you know, if I'll do an exercise with my UCLA students, like that Simon says, you know, or I'm just like, Simon says, raise your hand. Simon yes. says this. And you're just like reacting. And then. <laughs> okay. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yes. But then you fuck up because of that. Yes. Because you're not really listening. Cause you're just doing a reaction. So you say, Simon says, raise your hand, raise your hand. And you raise your hand. And you're like, Nope, that's not what you're supposed to do. So it really fine tunes your presence. Cause you're not just reacting anymore. You're really listening. Cause you, if you're really listening, you're going to know, Oh wait, stop. Okay. Don't raise your hand. Cause they didn't say Simon says, I like this, you know? Yeah. It's fun. What's your person? <laughs> well, it is. Yeah, I, I don't think I've taken Alexander classes, but I think many teachers of mine were using some parts of For Alexander sure, technique. Yeah. yeah. What's your relationship to your own art? Oh, that's a good question. I'm I've been on a bit of a hiatus. I used to be a highly performative, creative person. I probably still am in my own way. Um, but I I went into kind of a different direction when I built my practice. Um, cause one thing about being an artist is, you know, it can be hard to figure out how to sustain yourself in like an adult way. And I don't have like a trust fund or someone like funding me. So I also had to figure out how to like make a living and live my life. You know, you can't, I can't. And music is like we all, yeah, yeah. Well, like not all of us, but a lot of us. Oh yes. Cause there are people that do have funding and God bless that. That's great. Congratulations. N nobody's floating me. So there just came kind of a realistic point where I was like, okay, music, you know, I had friends even who were making it. Um, and I was doing well, like I had a whole kind of little following and a little, you know, whatever. Um, but it, for me, it was not sustainable because I don't like going on tour. You uh, don't? No. I want my own bedroom. Like, I don't want to be on the road. I don't want to have to perform every single day the same songs. It's just... Not for me. I have friends who thrive doing that, but for me, I need to constantly reinvent. So even when I was in bands, like we were the kind of bands that would like deconstruct the song and reconstruct them. Or when I had my own, you know, band, we would play the songs differently every time. Sometimes I'd play it with like a string quartet. Sometimes I play it minimal, like with a drum machine and a bass, you know, um, so I was never, I realized I'm never going to be that kind of performer. That's just like doing the same thing and going on tour and like 
that. Um, so I had to figure out like what I was going to do. And I've always been super community oriented. So I like bringing people together. Like I said earlier, I'm a connector. I was throwing events a lot like music events and then kind of hybrid art events. And, um, then I was doing film as well. And like being in films and like started doing voice acting. I got recruited basically to do VO. And, um, so, you know, I evolved and, and, and then once I learned Alexander technique, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I want to teach this. So I did the teacher training program because I needed it. Also, I still needed to work on myself so much. I still had so much to undo because I was in such bad shape when I started. Um, so then I, I came to California because there's a great wellness industry here and because there's a great uh, creative industry, you know? And so when I first moved out here, um, I was still doing some performance art stuff and throwing some events. And then I really just honed in on, on the Alexander technique, building my practice. And then when this Rita house thing came up, I was like, Oh, great. Cause I missed also being in community. So when I had my own practice as an entrepreneur, as a freelancer, it was like, I'm my own boss. I answered to myself, I have to do everything. And I missed like being a part of something. Yes. I didn't like being a solo. I did it f as a solo practitioner for like, I don't know, four or five years. I started studying Alexander Technique about a decade ago. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of went to a new chapter where I was like, oh, I can still teach. And, but I, I can also now have events and do things in community and do workshops here and, you know, um, go back a little bit more to my creative art stuff. And so I think my next step creatively, well, so I still write, I'm still a poet. I guess I completely forgot to tell you that. So creatively, I do still do poetry Yes, and I get paid to show up at these events and like write poetry on the spot for people. And that really is an amazing exercise. I've been doing that for eight years. I work for this company called Ars Poetica that my friend Lisa Ann Markison started. And I'm like the lead West Coast poet. Um, and so, you know, it's cool. Like I'll, I have an event in Long Beach on Monday and I'll go, I'll come with my typewriter and I'll talk to people and I'll write them poems. And, and so I've been typewriter. Yes. A real, real I like typewriter. That. Yeah. So you get like an actual analog physical thing, which I think people really miss, you know? Yes. They, everything's so virtual. So I think having an interaction where they get to take something home with them means a lot. I've run into people even here who are like, you look familiar. Wait, you wrote me a poem. Oh my God, it's on my fridge. So I've still been creative because I've been doing the poetry and I've been having this like book of poetry that I've been working on and I still write. So that has been going on. I think probably at some point I'll just do like backup singing again and dancing because that's probably my favorite thing. I don't think I'll ever have my own band again because it's really just so much work. I mean, practicing three to four times a week, booking shows, you know, even the day of the event, um, it's like you have to load the car, show up, sound check, wait through all the other bands, play, then wait to get paid, load the car, unload. You know, it's just, it's, and, and I, and I, I have a lot of friends who are still musicians and they can do it. You know, I just realized for me and my body and it wasn't what I wanted to do. So I was going to be doing other things, but I would love to just like, I used to sing in DC, like as a backup singer for like a fun band. It was like a kind of synth pop band. 
And it was fun because I would just show up, like be the cinnamon spice, you know, and and then leave. But it wasn't ultimately all on me and my brand or whatever. It was their band and I was a part of it. So, yeah. Yeah. I think I've definitely never been like a solo singer songwriter type. I've always liked being in community with others, working with people. How about if there's like birthday parties or like that, would you sing in those? Oh yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm even when I was a kid, I've always been like, I'm not shy. <laughs> I mean, my mom would be like, mom, you know, want to show me off, uh, like Dina sing for everyone. I'm like, okay, you know, no problem. That's fun. Yeah. How long ago did you move to LA? So it was about seven years ago, eight years ago. Yeah. My brother um, is an entrepreneur and he moved to San Francisco as they do in the tech world. And he pitched basically to my family, like we were, you know, from Virginia. My my parents had the home that we grew up in. And he was like, come to California. Like, it's a great state. You know, weather's good. You've got ocean. You've got city. You've got downtown. You've got mountains. You've got vistas. Um, good politics, you know. Um and so my parents like sold their house, our childhood home. They moved to Walnut Creek, right right near my brother. He's in Berkeley. Um, and I moved to LA. And that, that was because I didn't move to Northern California because um, for me, I had a lot more friends here already. I have a ton of friends here from Austin and from DC. Um, and, and I think it's because of the creative industry. You know, I have friends that work in film and friends that work in music and then music that is in film and TV. And so it made more sense for me to be here. Plus, you know, the San Francisco area is like really expensive too. So. And when you had started already to Alexander Technique mm -hmm. when you moved. Mm -hmm. Well, since you have seen so much creative people and creative spaces, how, how do you think LA is? How, is, is this such a place that people talk about? Yeah, I mean, it's really easy for people to get cynical about any big city. Um, you'll find it with any one of them, you know, they'll talk shit about New York, they'll talk shit about whatever. But the reality is, I mean, there's a reason there's a bunch of people here, <laughs> you know. And what I've found to be true in my experience here in LA is that there are people who have come here with dreams and they have the vision and the work ethic to do it. And then there's the actual resources here to support it. So for example, being in Austin, you could be an amazing musician, but the infrastructure of Austin doesn't support musicians. Like, whereas you could come here, get your, um, your song in a TV show and have like residuals from that. There's just a little bit more creative economy here as there is in New York, which is why a lot of people do that. Um, and I think big time because of the movie industry here and the TV industry. Um, and then as far as wellness is concerned, I mean, there's definitely a huge wellness industry here. That's probably an entirely other podcast episode because there's definitely some weird stuff in that industry. Yes. And I have seen you that. know, whatever they call snake oil stuff and, so one of my kind of determining 
branding things was was separating myself from that in that I'm like, I'm a pretty practical person when it comes to things like that. Like, I'm not going to make promises. I'm not going to tell you I am going to fix you and I am your healer and your savior. And even people want to project that onto you sometimes, like, because they'll do they'll do sessions with you and they'll feel a lot better. And they'll be like, oh, my God, you're a healer, you know. It's, these are just tools and skills and things that you implement. You're the only person who can really take care of yourself. Um, I'm, I've always been really um, weary of like too much everybody, like culty things or anything like that. I've always been, I didn't even like sit at the same lunch table all the time in high school. Like that's how much I don't like being a part yeah. <laughs> a little bit of an iconoclast. So, you know, that part of the wellness industry I had difficulty with. Um, but I've actually evolved a lot with that too. Cause I think I didn't used to really think very spiritually and stuff. There's a lot of terroritos and stuff. And then I met a lot of people like that. And, and there's something to that too, you know, that kind of intuition and insight and connection uh, with something bigger. And, and that's cool. I was impressed with your website and Instagram page, especially your website, because it's, it could go spiritual, but there's nothing that goes spiritual there. So you, I think you succeeded in keeping it uh, practical. Thank you. Um, yeah, I've had a few people come to me and say like, oh, I went to these other Alexander sites and they were like really a little too like almost corporate or to spiritual and like, I'm kind of in between. Um, I would say that there is, so, so the name I landed on is mind body grace. I unfortunately am not going to be able to like go too far with that name because of mind body green. Um, because I didn't, I don't know. Mind body green is like a whole like wellness platform and I didn't okay. trademark my name, even though I actually had mind body grace before Mind Body Green, but they've actually gone and trademarked anything that you could do. So podcasts, you know, online education, workshops, um, blogs, anything, everything. Um, and in trademark, it's like because it's mind body and then a G and we work in the same fields, I would get it wouldn't work. I talked to like a trademark person yeah. for now. I'm still keeping Mind Body Grace for my website. But if I were ever to like launch a you know, something that I would make a lot of money off of. I couldn't be mind body grace because they would come after me, yeah. but I'll tell you a little bit about why I picked mind body grace. It's what we were talking about before, which is just the relationship and the integration of the mind and the body. But this understanding that we also don't live like in a binary world and there's a bit of a, oop, there's a bit of a Trinity. Um, and when I think of grace, um, I think of it in many different ways. And some people who believe in God, you know, think of God's grace. Um, and if you don't believe in God, you can still think of grace as something that is beyond a human's control. And there's something outside of us. And I think even if you don't believe in God, you must have an understanding that humans are not in control of everything. Like that'd be very egotistical. Um, so you can at least understand there's some grace that's given by something somewhere, something that is beyond what we understand. Um, and then grace is also, you know, to be graceful. 
to to handle things with grace, with ease, to be easeful, um, to have grace under pressure, for example. So it is that kind of trifecta, like mind, body, and soul, mind, body, and spirit, um, however you want to think of it, but understanding that it's not just like the physical and the mental, but it's like also this other mysterious thing. Well, I went to theater school and many performers need to think about this. Yeah. All the stuff that we have talked about. But if someone's listening to you who works completely in another field, yeah, maybe does some goes jogging or just takes care of themselves. But how could you how could one integ- integrate your thoughts into their lives? Yeah. If they do so. Don't think I- about this every day. Yes. Well, I think that awareness is like the first principle. So even when you're brushing your teeth, you can become aware. Am I holding the toothbrush really hard? Am I crunching my neck for no reason? Am I making this harder than it has to be? When you're driving at the steering wheel, am I tensing up for no reason? Can I have a little more ease in what I do? So I think making it kind of a curious question where you're like, oh, can I find a bit more ease in this moment? Um, anybody can relate to that. Anytime you like enter a room, you can notice, am I holding my breath? Am I, am I looking up? Am I seeing people? Am I looking down and kind of like, you know, or can I actually be here and like present with everybody? Um, And anyone who's in any kind of job always has to present themselves at some point, whether it's for a job interview or, you know, something. And yes. so that that idea of, of can I be a little bit more at ease, that puts other people at ease too. Um, and also being aware of where you are in space, like what you were talking about, um, can make people feel more confident in you and whatever job you're doing. Um, so yeah, your presence is important in anything you do. Also in meeting a possible mate, yes. you know, um, friends, colleagues, people that you can connect with. A lot of being able to connect is, is to be present um, with that person and also with yourself. Because sometimes I know, I'm sure you felt with some people that they're so eager and present with you and they're not centered in themselves that that can be kind of like eh, if they're like so like eh, like you know sticking their neck out there for you so it's like how can i be in my own center and also present with somebody else that's that's good i haven't thought about that for a long time but sometimes when you really want to give an impression that you're listening to someone it might be too intense Yes, I think that our society here is is really into intensity, um, especially when it comes to like working out and stuff. It's like go hard or go home. Um, but I'm really into sustainability. <laughs> I like that. So you know, I I'm a go getter. I've always been, and I think coming to California was good for me because it slowed me down a little bit. Um, whereas if I had gone to New York, I probably would be like, ah, 
you know. Yeah. Um, and the Alexander technique has slowed me down a little bit, but I'm still just like a super fast, like thinker. Like I'm like, like my brain is going, you know, so being able to have these skills is really helpful. Um, but I used to be, and I still am sometimes like if I've had too much coffee or if I'm feeling anxious or, um, someone who sticks their neck out there for people, you know, um, it's, and it's, it's a familial trait. Like my aunts all would, you know, would just be there for you in a minute and would, uh, you know, just have to have everything ready for dinner and perfect. And so some of it is like dealing with some of the habits that you've inherited ancestrally too. (laughs) Um, and then also just dealing with the way that our society kind of operates and how they ask us to show up. If I understood correctly, uh, okay, I would like to ask this question this is difficult to answer quickly like how do you get a good posture mm-hmm. if you haven't thought about it in your life ever book sessions with an alexander technique teacher yeah because <laughs> i guess it depends on the individual um it's three main things the first is awareness if you don't start to learn what it is that you're doing in the first place, you're going to get nowhere. If you're just trying to do exercises blindly that you're like, oh, you know, do this or, you know, do your chin texts, but you're not aware of your own habits, that's not going to help. So awareness, inhibition and direction. Um, so in an Alexander Technique class, like you learn basically through hands on and through just how you're pulling yourself down or pushing or overdoing and also how to not do that. So the only way to change your posture is to become aware of your habits, um, give yourself the space and time to allow yourself to move differently than you're used to. Um, and then those things develop. So like my back got super strong. I can like lift people up that you could never imagine. Um, and, and also just connecting with the whole of your spine. So knowing that the whole of your spine is carrying you, like the whole of your back, that your head is connected. So I'd say awareness, inhibition, direction, and integration. So integration is understanding the relationship between your mind and your body and your behavior. What uh, I forgot what inhibition means. It's to understand not just what you're doing, but what you cannot do. So for example, if I have a tendency to like tense my jaw, it's me saying, don't tense your jaw. If I have a tendency to hold my breath, it's me saying, don't hold your breath. In not holding my breath, guess what's happening? I'm breathing normally. Okay. So I, I think about a lot that. of it is the the saying no. And it's, it's stimulus response because most of our issues are coming from like a stimulus, like the computer's in front of you and you just do a thing. If you can stop yourself from slouching, you know, then those muscles are going to start activating more and then it's going to feel more, more and more uncomfortable to go back down into that. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I think about that lots with that. Am I raising my shoulders or am I tensing my shoulders? I think it's also being comfortable with the idea that you're always working on yourself. So yes. there's not like a moment where you're like, now I have the perfect posture, hairspray me, and I'm going to walk around like a robot. Like just, you're always working on yourself. So 
be patient, be humble, be curious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you said that uh, you were in dating apps. Now you're taken. <laughs> so I'm just curious, how is dating life in LA? How was it? Um, interesting. I mean, you know. <laughs> Because the TV gives a pretty specific idea, like how yeah. it is. But yeah. I was just curious, how is it on, on your point of view? I mean, I've changed so much, you know, with my own sense of security and self-confidence and attraction. And I mean, I've had a very interesting dating life, dating, you know, these kinds of different people here, whatever, famousy people and all that stuff is interesting. Um, I don't know. I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one. It's a, it's a journey. You know, it's a, it's a journey more within yourself than it is because whatever you're working on yourself is what's going to attract others. So a lot of people get really externally focused about it. Like I need to find this and someone else. And it's like, the more you just tune in your own frequency, the different kind of people you're going to attract. I mean, for me, the dating apps were more just like practice. It's like practice. And when I first moved here, it was also just learning about like, where do people go? Like, cause then you can learn about where to go dating and like where people, where's the cool places to go. Um, and then it's also just like, yeah, kind of just practicing your mojo and what you're looking for and all that jazz, getting heartbroken, breaking people's hearts, you know, um, just it's, it's always a journey. And, you, you know, I always remind people, it's like, most people are not going to work out. Don't get so bent out of shape. Cause like really the majority of the people that you date, you're not going to end up with. Cause how often do you actually end up with someone? So, sorry, what you said that don't be so specific that they need to be in shape. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. What was the, I, didn't get I, I the said, idea. oh, sorry. It's, it's an idiom in English. Most, yeah. When I said don't get bent out of shape, it means like when someone <sighs> is just like, oh my God, like they just get all bent out of shape because something didn't work out. Oh, got it. Yeah. But I mean, this comes a little bit back to grace and faith and understanding that there's something larger at hand. And if you can have that, then you're not as sometimes they say rejection is God's protection or whatever. <laughs> yes. Um, but like, yeah, just kind of understanding that like there's something beyond a lot of people get fixated on like, well, if I had said this or did this or did this differently, then maybe this. And it's like, it didn't work. It doesn't matter. Yeah. The only thing you can work on is like your own self-esteem, you know, which is really just surrounding yourself with people that really love and understand you. And then also doing the things that you like to do, finding joy, cultivating your own integrity, whatever it is, you know, and then, um, you know, hopefully you'll find someone. I, 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 I would, I didn't find anyone on a dating app. I mean, I dated some people that was fun and interesting for a couple months or whatever, but ultimately the person I met, I just met, you know, out. Yeah. Out. How? Uh, so, at Jones. Um uh la brea and santa monica uh yeah santa monica yeah jones the like old italian place yeah, yeah. close to target yes yeah it's a, they have really nice apple pies oh i haven't had the apple pie. yes i've had so, the pizza but <laughs> so you were just there in a bar and you started yes. talking with yeah mm -hmm. that's cool that's yeah. like old school uh-huh old school <laughs> yeah. how long ago 
like six months. Cool. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so if people want to find out more about you, yes. what would you like to share? You sent me a couple of songs too, but what would you like to share now? Oh, I mean, I think my Instagram is good because it's like always evolving and changing and pointing in whatever direction. So, you know, if there's an event, I'll post it there. If I am in a show, I'll post it there. Um, so yeah, it's at Dina O D E E N A O H. That's my Instagram. Um, otherwise I probably, I'm going to be putting up like a personal website soon. You know, my, my Alexander website, my wellness website is mindbodygrace.com. Um, but, uh, once I get a few more structural things in place, I am going to put up like all my old VO work and, and music and choreography all in one page because I'm going back in that direction a little bit. Like I've been doing more choreography and dancing and stuff. So that's fun. More acting? Voice acting. Yeah. Um, Can you quickly tell about what kind of voice acting, acting did, you, did you do? Yeah. So uh, when I was in Austin, um, I was doing music and I yeah. was in this like vocal show where I did three different pieces that were voice. Um, it was very like John Cage kind of avant-garde stuff. Yeah. And there was um, a Sony director in the audience and he saw me and he kind of was like, who are you? What's going on? You should do voiceover. And I was like, okay. And at this point I had been studying Alexander techniques, so it felt very comfortable in my body and stuff. So I was like, sure, I'll try out for this thing that I have no idea what it is. Why not? Um, so I went into the studio and they just had like a little screen up and it was just random lines. And I got the voice of Wonder Girl um, Donna Choi. And I did that for a video game for like three years. Wow. Um, and they had me with other voices like goblins and ghouls and a scientist. And then I also did the voice of, um, the red lantern, which is like the evil, like <laughs> voice. Um, and Marvel DC. Yeah. DC. Yeah. Yeah. DC. And then, uh, then I got other like video games, just people like, you know, I never like had an agent or anything, which I will do probably next year, actually put a view and then do that. But for now it was just stuff that came to me. And then they, they asked me to do Mara. They asked me to try out it's Aqua woman. So I don't know if you saw Aquaman. I know it. It's like I didn't. what Amber Heard plays. Um, nice for animation. But for, yeah, I played the voice of it for the video game for the DC universe game. That's a really big, Part. Yeah, it was a big part. Yeah. And then I did like some VR games where I was like the detective that walked you through the game. And then, but all, all video games. Yeah. I did, I did a bunch of video games. Yeah. Nice. And you're getting back to it. Um, not, not right this moment. Yeah. I've been, I've been pretty focused on building Rita house and doing my poetry And probably next year I'll like get an agent and get back into that. But if anyone's watching this and wants to cast me in a voiceover role, I am here. You're here. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Dina. Thank you. I feel good. I you feel, feel more good? relaxed. Yeah. Oh, good. I think you were, I got some healing. <laughs> <laughs> good. Now, if anyone wants an interview with me, the healing is, is part of it. It's just, it just is a frequency. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And, and remind me, most of your viewers, are they in Finland? I think so. Okay. Well, if yeah. I'm in Fil Finland, um, I would love to meet you. I'll come stay with you. Yes. Let's go to Finland. <laughs> okay. Thank I, you. I literally, yeah. I don't know anything about Finland. What, what can you tell me just the difference between LA and Finland? 
If Finland is really nice and safe, but the winters can get pretty tough. Safe. Yes. Yeah. So it's the weather or safety. Ah. That's the. Yeah. Yeah. That's the trade. I don't know if you're on the citizen app here. I know it. I don't want, I don't need it. (laughs) Are you? I am because like I have this one corner of where I live where like it's good to know what's happening. Yeah. But I don't have the notifications on because basically if you don't know what the citizen app is, it's showing you any like crime or anything that's happening. And it's kind of crazy how much is happening all the time in LA, especially since COVID and more people are houseless and it's just hard, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But that's, so Finland's very safe. That's good to know. Very safe and nice. Some people like the winter. If you like that, it's perfect. I don't. That's why I'm here. Okay. Let's <laughs> thank you. Nice to meet you. Thank you, you Dina. It is great you, to meet Dr. you. Thank you, Dr. Self Tape. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Happy I'm Friday. Good. Happy Friday. That was my slate. I know, I yeah. know.